Well, this is part number three of a four-part series. I just want to say welcome to our friends on Facebook Live. We are experiencing some technical difficulties. Your experience will be slightly different this morning. Uh, just uh, hang in there. Uh, life really is in color. It's not all in black and white. So for those of you who are in the room with me this morning, you just watched a video. We love come. I mean, we love come from behind victories. They motivate us. But who are we kidding? I mean, really? We love blowouts too, don't we? I mean, we just love to win. For me, when I was in elementary school, I lived in Fayetteville, and it was right about the time that Eddie Sutton had just arrived in Arkansas to be the coach of the Razorbacks. Eddie's son, his name was, is Sean, Sean Sutton, one of his sons anyway. And Sean was in my class in the elementary school, and then we also were on the same basketball team at the boys' club. Now, we didn't just have a parent as our coach. Because Sean was on the team, Eddie sent one of his assistant coaches for the Razorbacks to be our coach at the boys' club. So it went pretty well. I mean, we had a great coach. Now, here's the deal. We were amazing. I, I mean, Sean. Sean was amazing. He was a great basketball player. We won every single game. And we only had one play. We won all of those games with one play. And that play was not run the picket fence. We had no idea what run the picket fence was. That was not the play. One single play. It was called every single game. Every single time we had the ball, here's the one play. Get the ball to Sean. That was the play, and it worked every single time. We won every single game, and we won big. Thank you, Eddie Sutton, for volunteering your assistant coach to teach us this most valuable lesson in life. Get the ball to Sean, <laughs> and it worked. We do love to win. We love to win, but you know what? There is something that is really special about a come-from-behind win. It, there's something that is so moving. It, it is so inspiring. And at times, even, you know, in athletics and sports, it can even be life-changing. We love comebacks. We love comebacks. This morning, I want to teach you something that was taught to me. When it comes to a comeback, we celebrate those. We, we memorialize those things. Um, that's one of the reasons why I love the biographies in the Old Testament, because they are full of comeback, come from behind stories. It's full of them. So you have Moses, who spent his whole life in a comeback, a come from behind victory. Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Jonah, David, even Jesus, they are all comeback, come from behind victory stories. And it seems like God specializes in comebacks. And God gets, and in the Bible, certainly all of the glory from the stories. I mean, when we read those stories and we see how it turns out, we are like, yes, God wins. Nobody, we may be knocked down, but nobody, nobody beats God. We love come from behind stories. They motivate us even in the Bible. But the reality is this. It doesn't always work out that way. Not everybody, when they get knocked down to the mat, not everybody gets back up. 
Now, enter into the ring a guy named Stephen. Let's get ready to rumble! So after Jesus died, he rose again, and he meets with his followers before he goes back to heaven. And while he's meeting with them, he starts this thing called the church and launches the church. So Jesus left, he launches the church as planned, and he says to the church, you are now the hands and feet of Jesus. Now the early church leaders, they they were looking for uh, some young talent to join them, to help them. Some Christ-following, strong men, proven character, that's what they wanted. Someone who was willing to step down and serve as opposed to someone who is wanting to step up and elevate themselves. They were looking for people to step down and serve, be servant leaders. And Stephen was one of these people chosen as a servant leader. So here in this bout, we have Stephen in this corner. And in the opposite corner, his opponent, we have once again these people we call the Pharisees. Now, the Pharisees, if you don't know who they are, they were professional law keepers, professional religious people, and they never stepped down. They always were stepping up, if you know what I mean. So basically, all they did every day, the the Pharisees, they would work on new ways to keep the law, and then they would point to everyone else who's not keeping the law as well as they were keeping the law. Make sense? So that's the kind of people that Stephen is in this bout with. And by the way, the Pharisees happened to hate Jesus and they hated Christ followers. Now, they're squaring off for this event, this main event, and Stephen is the servant leader versus the Pharisees, these professional religious people. Before this bout started, Stephen had been teaching in Jerusalem. He'd teach in the synagogues, and and the way he taught, um, he would have a debate, and he would debate someone like a Pharisee or a religious leader. It just so happened Stephen won all of his debates time and time and time again. And quite frankly, the Pharisees were getting sick of losing to Stephen. So they got frustrated and they hired a couple of people to tell some lies about Stephen. And so they were like, "Ah, Stephen, he's blaspheming God. We heard it. And they were saying, yeah, he said he was going to destroy the temple. Now, the Pharisees knew those were two big no-nos. the Jewish people, if they, if they thought that Stephen was blaspheming God or that he was going to destroy the temple, the people would say, yeah, we need to get rid of Stephen. Let's kill Stephen. So they knew that they were going to, to, to sway the opinion of everyone else. That's why they did that. So they arrested Stephen, and he's kind of on trial, and he's in this Jewish court, And they give Stephen a real stern talking to, the Pharisees did. And while that's happening, this is kind of like out of a comic book sounding type experience here. While they were giving him a stern talking to, Stephen's face begins to glow. Not like glow-in-the-dark radiation Chernobyl type glowing, no. It begins to shine as if the glory of God 
is reflecting off of Stephen's face as if God himself is shining on Stephen's face. It is remarkable. That's what happens. And then they give Stephen a chance to speak. And so Stephen gives them this ultimate history lesson. He starts back almost all the way to creation, and he gives them the history of the world up to then. And he talks about Abraham and Moses all the way to Jesus. And then he's winding up here, the haymaker, and he's getting ready to cut loose. And he says it in verse 51 of chapter 7. Listen to what he says. He says, you stubborn people. You are heathen at heart and deaf to the truth. I mean, he's getting ready to knock them out. He says, must you forever resist the Holy Spirit? He says, that's what your ancestors did, and so do you, he says. Name one prophet your ancestors didn't persecute. They even killed the ones who predicted the coming of the righteous one, the Messiah, whom you betrayed and murdered. I mean, he's unloading on these guys. Verse 53, you deliberately disobeyed God's law even though you received it from the hands of angels. Wow. I mean, you know what he's doing? When I, after I left Fayetteville, of course I didn't on my own. My parents moved. When we moved to Little Rock, when I was a kid in Little Rock, we used to, we used to put each other down. And this is the way we did it. We did your mama so fat jokes, right? Did you ever do your, your mama so fat jokes? And your mama, your daddy, your greasy granny, got a big wide fanny going beep, beep, beep down Sesame Street. Now I'm alone in that. Y'all were so much better than I was. That's what we did. This is Stephen's version of that. But, he, but this is, it's a little more like in the first century, it was not your mama so fat jokes it's, your daddy is so uncircumcised. That's what, that, that's what it was like for them. But this is, he, this is like what Stephen is saying to them, he, he, to these professional religious people, and they couldn't take it anymore. And so listen to what happens in verse 54. The Jewish leaders were infuriated by Stephen's accusations. They were so angry. They shook their fists at him in rage. But Stephen full of the Holy Spirit, gazed steadily into heaven and saw the glory of God. Very possibly that's what was shining off of his face. He saw the glory of God and he saw Jesus standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. You know what's interesting about that? When we see in the New Testament about verses about Jesus being at God's right hand, it's almost always Jesus sitting at the right hand of God. And in this moment, it's Jesus standing at the right hand of God as if to imply Jesus knows what's taking place and Jesus stands in this moment of recognition. This is phenomenal. And he told them, this is verse 56, look, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man standing in the place of honor at God's right hand. And this is what happened, verse 57. Then they put their hands over their ears and they began shouting. They rushed at him and dragged him out of the city and began to stone him. Stephen, in this moment, had won yet another debate. This time, though, they rush him, they drag him outside of the city. You know why they take him outside of the city? 
Because what they're getting ready to do, what their plans are, what they want to do, will create such a mess, it needs to be outside of the city. They drag him outside of the city and they begin to stone him. Whatever your mind imagines uh, about a stoning, this is so much worse. The reality is so much more. If you just imagine a softball-sized stone, as heavy as it would be, and they don't toss it to him like a hot potato. It is hurled as hard as they can throw it, not from a distance, right in front of him. It is hurled straight down at Stephen. This is not supposed to happen like this. This is not how it's supposed to be. I mean, Stephen is a great guy, an amazing servant leader. It's as if Stephen is the one who volunteers to teach the bad kids Sunday school class. Stephen's the one who's tithing and giving extra to the building fund. Stephen is the one who's stepping up in the church to do the things that nobody else wants to do. I mean, he's carrying around a plunger, unclogging toilets. He's changing dirty diapers. Stephen was an all-star. This is not supposed to happen to him. The verse goes on. It says, His accusers took off their coats and laid them at the feet of a young man named Saul. There were so many people there that they had to have a coat check. Someone to hang on to their coats while they took care of business. Stephen, then in all of this anger and violence, Stephen prays something. And it sounds very familiar when you listen to these words. It sounds very much like the prayer that Jesus prayed before he died. Here it goes in verse 59. As they stoned him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Now, we're reading this, and we're like, oh, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. Maybe, maybe God is going to just wait for just this right moment, and this is it, and God's going to rescue him. It's a come-from-behind win, and everyone's going to be like, ah, yay, God did it. But it goes on, verse 60. Stephen fell to his knees, shouting, Lord, don't charge them with this sin. And we're reading this, and we're like, okay, 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 so maybe, maybe God's just waiting to show off. I mean, when Stephen is really down for the count, and I mean, like, it's really, really down, maybe then it's going to be the ultimate come-from-behind victory. And so Luke, as he's writing this, he finishes off the paragraph, and here's what he says. And with that, he died. So maybe, maybe as we're reading this, we're thinking, maybe, maybe this is bigger than we even thought. Perhaps God is going to breathe life back into Stephen, and he's going to stand up live, living once again. And then everyone who was looking would know that God's people win every time. But Stephen didn't stand. Instead, his blood poured out of his wounds from the, the wounds on his head where his skull was crushed from the softball-sized rocks hurled directly at him. 
and his heart stopped beating once the last bit of blood drained from his body. And Stephen did not stand back up. Stephen died. And he stayed dead. His lifeless body was crushed. He was dead. It was hopeless. What do we do when we completely and absolutely lose? I believe that we can understand on a very tiny scale. Because on this very tiny scale, we have lost at times as well. Maybe for you it was a relationship with a friend. And they said they don't want to be your friend anymore. Knockout. No comeback. Perhaps your finances were ruined. It's all over. No come from behind when. Maybe your wife took the kids and she left. Knockout. You're done. Maybe a child of yours took off and they never looked back. KO. It's finished. The person you were dating, perhaps, they said that they are done with you. It's finished. It's over. Your husband decided that he wanted to sleep with someone from work, not you. You're KO'd. No comeback. Your doctor said there's not much more they can do. Or you got fired from work. What, what, what do we do with that? When God does not remove that from your life, or he doesn't remove you from the situation, what do we do? If God doesn't handle it the way we hoped, the way we wanted, the way we prayed and asked for him to handle it, what do we do? Well, I know when we read the rest of this story in the book of Acts that started here with Stephen, I think we can have some hope. Stephen was dead, and he was buried, and it was over. The good news is, soon after that, it got much worse for everybody who was left. I mean, it got bad. Persecution broke out. Christ followers in Jerusalem and anywhere they could find them were being hunted down. Christ followers were being imprisoned. They were being tortured. Some were being killed. And because of that, Christ's followers fled for their lives. And the result of them running to safety was them actually running to other towns and cities and places. So it means this, the gospel that we talk about, the gospel which is the good news of Jesus, which is the fact that Jesus came and died on the cross to pay the price for our sins so that we can eternally, through Jesus, connect with God. The fact that the good news now spread. It, it, it went everywhere. Everywhere these people ran for safety, that's where the good news went. So it went from city to city, from village to village, from country to country, all because of this persecution that began in Jerusalem, where it all started, where it was all centered, and now it rapidly spread all over. So, 
Now, enter into the ring the lead persecutor of Christ's followers. His name is Saul. You recognize the name because we just read it. Saul was the coat check guy. When Stephen was killed, Saul's the one that watched all their coats and held them while they were killing Stephen. So Saul saw all of this happen. And now Saul himself was leading the charge in seeing Christians tortured and some killed and imprisoned. He was trying to crush this whole Christ-following thing. But every time he tried to crush it, it grew more. And it grew bigger. And it grew faster every time he tried to stomp it out. Now, don't miss this. You see, Stephen understood something. And it's something that we have to learn. Here it is. You can be used. You. God can still use you. Even if you lose. Even if he does not remove you from the circumstance that is crushing you. God can still use you. This is the invitation. For God to use you even when you lose. And this invitation is more significant than whatever it was that you were asking God to take care of in the first place. You know, we have a tendency to think of ourselves more when we're behind. And if I'm losing, if, if there's something in my life that is just beating me down and crushing me, we have a, a, a temptation to think about ourselves more, about what we're missing, about why it hurts and why it's unfair and why does this have to happen to me. But not Saul. I mean, not, uh, not Stephen. Stephen didn't do that. This is significant. Let's talk about Saul some more. So Saul entered into the ring as now a lead persecutor of people who followed Christ. That's what he was, the lead persecutor. And he changed from that into a bold believer in Jesus. Jesus changed his life. Paul, Saul became a Christ follower, and Jesus changed his name to Paul. And Paul became one of the most famous Christ followers to have ever lived. He wrote most of the New Testament. And all of those things that he was doing to other people, now he was the Christ follower. And, and, and those people trying to hunt down Christians were now trying to hunt down Paul. And he was being bold. And Paul faced some situations where he was behind. Constantly coming from behind. Let me just give you an advance notice here on the life of Paul. It didn't end real great for him. Oh yeah, he was a bold believer. That was great. But he died a painful death too. All because he was following Jesus. But when you study the life of Paul, you understand what Stephen did. And that can be used in your life and my life, even when we lose. So Paul, the former Christian hunter, now the hunted, 
He had three things to say to us. I want to give them to you very, very quickly here. When you are losing, here's the first one. He said, fight the good fight. Keep swinging. Don't stop. Fight for the right things. Fight for your marriage. Fight for your kids. Fight for the people around you who are even unlovable. Fight for that relationship. God can use people who are willing to keep fighting until the end. Fight the good fight. Here's the second thing Paul said. Finish. Finish well. Even when she leaves you and takes all the kids, finish well. Even when he marries the woman that he had an affair with, finish well. Even when your health is lost, finish well. Even when you lose, finish well. And you know why? Because there are people all around you. So many people who are watching you. They're watching your choices, your behavior. They're watching your devotion and your decisions as you lose. Paul says finish well. And here's the third thing he says. Paul says, keep the faith. If you've lost, now I'm not talking about a kind of faith that says, oh God, please remove this circumstance from my life or take me away from this circumstance. If you've lost, you've already lost. And so God did not answer that prayer. So it's the kind of faith that says this instead. God, Will you somehow leverage my loss for your good? That's keeping the faith. My friends, I I know some of what I'm talking about. I've lived it. I personally slowly walked into the darkest, deepest depression that I had ever known. It was so dark that I couldn't see what down was and what up was. Wrong seemed right and right seemed wrong. And death sounded better than life. I was finished. I I was done. No pastor can survive that kind of destruction. No ministry No ministry can emerge from what I did to myself. It was career-ending, a KO. And God didn't take it away. God did not remove it. And that failure will forever be a part of me. I lost. And in God's grace and in God's mercy, he chose to use it even though, even though he didn't remove it. And how do I know this? Well, here you are. Here you are today. Here you are today making a difference in Stuttgart. 
Here you are today making a difference in Hazen and DeWitt and England and Humanoke and Umphrey and Duval's Bluff and Elmira and Wabasika and Clarendon and Carlisle. And some of you this morning on Facebook Live, some of you from Malvern and Benton and Northwest Arkansas and Heber Springs and Virginia and many other places. How do I know that God can use it? Here you are making a difference, even though some of you have lost as well. Here you are. Here you are. All of you. Stuttgart Harvest Church, here you are. And God is using you to see addictions abandoned, to see lives restored, to see relationships healed, all because he is using you to see people connected to him eternally. What do we do when we lose? Perhaps we start by just asking God to use it when he doesn't remove it. And my friends, some of you feel like you're losing right now. And you need to know that you can be used even if what you're going through is not removed. And I want to encourage you today, right now, with me, to tell God you want him to use it. I'm going to ask you, as the band makes their way to the front, pray with me right now. Let's address our Heavenly Father right here in this room and those of you on Facebook Live. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, some days just feel too hard. We're losing in this life, and we thought that we were going to win this time. God, we're fighting fear and worry and stress and depression. But today, Father, we want to learn to thank you in the midst of it all. God, forgive us for doubting your plan. Forgive us for thinking that we know a better way. Father, you are trustworthy even when we lose. You are Lord over every situation, no matter, God, what it is. God, you don't always choose to give us an earthly victory over our troubles. And in those times, Father, we know that you will never waste our grief. You will never waste our pain. And we ask you to use all of these things, God, for good in some way. The very thing, God, that we ask you to remove may be possibly the very thing you're going to use to shape us and use to shape others in our lives. God, you are the expert at bringing good things out of bad. And we thank you that your ways are higher than ours and that your thoughts are bigger than our thoughts. And we lay it all down at your feet, every burden, every care, believing that this is the safest, best place for those burdens to be. We love you, Lord. We need your fresh grace. Father, May we be able to say to evil what you intended to harm me. God has used it for good, the saving of many lives. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray these things. Amen.